All right. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're in a series investigating Jesus, how we know why we follow. And we've been looking at uh, the last few weeks this idea around uh, the question when it comes to our faith and what the Christian faith rests on is bigger than the questions of, is there a God or is the Bible true? But it actually comes down to this question, is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John a reliable account of the life of Jesus? And what we've been doing is we've been exploring the book of Luke to say, okay, well, if this is real, if this is accurate, if this is reliable, what does it mean to us? And we're going to continue today by looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Um, when I reflect on my time as a parent, and I think back over my years uh, of the people who have helped me as time's gone on, it's been really interesting and uh, filled me with great joy when you're in situations where you've got little ones. So my kids are seven, five, three, and one. So sometimes in public when you've got the kids and uh, they outnumber me, uh, it can look like I'm in a little bit of a pickle, right? And so many times strangers do such kind things. Like I have people open the doors for me. It's awesome. Um, as I'm walking around with my kids, I have even had people come up and entertain them for a second, in one particular moment, which I really, really appreciate, um, a perfect stranger, I'd never met them in my life, came and entertained one of my children for a second while I'm standing here and was just playing peekaboo with them. And I was over there disciplining another one for public urination. So <laughs> was I thankful in that moment? Yes. Thank you, stranger. Um, do you know um, what I call somebody who helps me, expecting nothing in return, expecting nothing in return? You know what I call them? They're my best friend. They're awesome. They're amazing. Those people who come in for those split seconds to help, they don't have any agenda. They don't get any recognition. They just do it because it's the right thing to do and they didn't talk themselves out of it. You never forget those sort of people. They're the sort of people that make a difference in my life and I'm sure they've made a difference in yours. So as I said before, here we are, part uh, four of our series looking at the question, is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John true and what does that mean for us. Now, Luke is unpacking some things for us, which is really helpful. In fact, Luke, as he starts his book, begins with his purpose in mind. And isn't that really nice when you open up a book and the author says, this is why I wrote the book? It's helpful. Now, you may not have come across it as being that helpful before, because generally when we get handed the Bible, uh, we get the Bible, we go Genesis, and then normally someone will go, don't start a Genesis. Or you can, but the better parts later. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And Luke starts with why he started his account um, of, of the faith. And this is what it says. It says, uh, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who are eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke is there, and he is just simply documenting. He's saying, look, I've put this together because something has happened and because this has happened, I'm going to slide five, sorry, Liam. Uh, because this has happened, um, things uh, need to be recorded. We need to pass these down, not just so that we have a record of what happened, but Luke actually says, these are so important, I want to put them onto paper so that everybody can have a record. And thank goodness he did, otherwise we wouldn't have the record that we have today. But he's not writing for the Bible. Luke hasn't gone and been charged to go and produce the Bible. Luke has been uh, just charged to go and write an accurate account of what had happened. And he did it. He did it really, really, really well. He gives us insight into Jesus's life, into what he did when he was here. And in fact, he gives us an insight into why Jesus even came in the first place. In Luke 4.43, um, Luke recorded Jesus as saying, I must proclaim the good news. I must proclaim the good news, the kingdom of God. That is why I was sent. 
Jesus came to this earth to help us understand that the rule and reign of God was something that was happening, unfolding, that was inviting, relational, and it was something that was without borders. Luke was someone who recorded for us the life of Jesus so that we could have insight into who God was and what he was like because Jesus represented God. See, Jesus came along and when he came into his particular context 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of things that weren't operating along the lines of what God wanted to have operating. There was a tiered system. There was insiders. There was outsiders. And Jesus is walking around and he's doing a whole bunch of teaching and healing and gathering and instructing. And he's doing all of it within this context of people who are basically defined by who they are and where they sit within the societal norms. Now, these days, we don't have it as prevalent as it was back then, but it's definitely still there. If we scratch beneath the surface at times, we treat people differently based on who they are or where they come from. When you're in the room with somebody and they're talking to you and then you suddenly find out they've got a PhD, oh, Better start to watch which words I use now. They must be a very smart person. Or perhaps you're in a situation and everyone's in their plain clothes and something happens and someone puts up their hands, I'm a nurse or I'm a doctor. You treat them a little bit differently, um, as you do should in emergency situations. But from time to time, it also seeps into just how we treat other people. And uh, Jesus actually wants to speak to us about that, and he'll, he'll mention that in a second. But Jesus, when he came and he looked around at this tiered system and he saw how people treated people, Jesus went, this is not the heart of God. This is not what God had intended. Jesus introduced us to this ethic of love one another as we are loved. And what's incredible is that when people took this new Jesus ethic, this new way of living, this new love others as you have been loved way of thinking, it started to actually change the world. And the reason it started to change the world is because people notice when people do things but don't expect anything in return. When people took a hold of this idea that love goes beyond just loving the people back who first showed me love, they started to sit up straight and pay a little bit of attention. So now we're going to have a look at this interaction between a lawyer and Jesus and we're going to see how far Jesus actually pushes this love one another ethic. But first let me set the scene for you. So Jesus had been going around saying some big things. So we're transported back in time, 2,000 years ago. Jesus is there. And Jesus started to get the attention of people. He started to get the attention of all the God followers because Jesus had some really cool things to say about God. But then these God followers, these religious people, started going a bit, hang on a second. Um, he started to say things that I'm not sure we 100% agree with. So at times, Jesus will rock up teach at the synagogue, he would say some things and people would be like, yeah, go Jesus. And then other times, Jesus would rock up, he would say some stuff and people would be a bit like, hmm, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. In fact, at times when Jesus rocked up and started to say things, it sounded a little bit like Jesus was um, anti-establishment. It sounded like from their perspective, hang on a second, if we follow what you're saying, then you're sort of implying that our religious system we've set up is not right and not 100% as it should be. So these religious leaders are very wary of Jesus. So their mission basically has been, while Jesus has gained popularity, to try and figure out how can we contain Jesus. Love parts of him, don't love the other parts. So over time, as Jesus interacts with these people, they start to ask questions. And their, their mission is to show either a flaw in what he's thinking about so they can go, aha, see, you're not correct and everything's fine. Or they wanted to just discredit him and say, you don't need to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
So, this is one of those occasions. And we pick it up in Luke 10, 25 to 27. So on one occasion, where they're trying to discredit Jesus, a lawyer, an expert in the law, speaks up and wants to test him. So he goes, teacher, question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, eternal life, eternal life in this case stands for the inclusion. It stands for the inclusion and participation of the future kingdom of God. The lawmaker basically wants to know, hmm, um, what does it require for me to do in this life to make sure that I'm okay with God in the next life? Now, Jesus is smart. He could just answer the question. Uh, but Jesus is smart, so he doesn't answer it properly. He answers it with a question. I think Jesus wants the lawyer to dig a little bit deeper. So Jesus responded, well, what's written in the law? Now, Jesus should know what's written in the law. He's a teacher of the law. What's written in the law? And he asks him a really great question. How do you read it? Isn't that, isn't that a profound question? So what's, what's written? What's your interpretation of it? You're a smart man. You study this stuff. You're an expert in the law. Um, what do you think? And the lawyer gives a really uh, a good answer. And in fact, he, he does a really smart thing here. He combines two things. He takes a correct answer from what he would have been taught from when he was a little Jewish boy up until later in life. But he also steals a little bit um, from Jesus here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Now, that's the correct Jewish answer. So what does it mean? How do you summarize the law? How do you make sure you are okay with God? Well, love him. Love the Lord God with everything, with all that you are. And he added, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I can imagine Jesus there smiling, going, ah, you clever, clever man. Because um, earlier Jesus had an encounter where he made this point uh, that actually the way you love God and demonstrate that you love God is by the way you love other people. And the lawyer took that and said, ha, huh, I've been paying attention, Jesus. And uh, he took that from Jesus and he put it together. And Jesus is impressed. He says, you've answered correctly. You've answered correctly. If you do this, if you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and you f love your neighbor, then you will live. You are correct. Love God, love others, spot on, future, kingdom of God, heaven spot reserved for you. But the lawyer didn't want to really sit on that answer. Like, it, you know, Jesus has agreed with him, and the lawyer's like, yeah, I just want to... I, I, I I just want to clarify something. Um, the word the, that Luke uses is that the lawyer wanted to justify himself. The lawyer wanted to make sure, am I actually okay and fine with God? And how do I make sure I have a ticket to the next thing that he is doing? So, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus a follow-up question. Okay, who is my neighbor then? Who is my neighbor? And this is a good question. This is a lawyer question. This is a, all right, Jesus, you say that love for my neighbor demonstrates my love for God and I have to love God so that I can have a space in the future kingdom of God. All right, that all makes sense. What's bare minimum? Who should I love? Okay, I, I, I see, what, the, value, I see what, the, what the price of admission is. How do I ensure I get price of admission? Now, he's a Judean, a Judean, so he's thinking to himself, okay, well, loving my neighbor, he's thinking in the sense, well, who are the Judeans around me that I have to love? Who are the people that I need to love? How do I make sure that I'm okay? And Jesus, again, ignores the question and instead asks, starts to, instead starts to tell a story. And I think the reason that Jesus did this is because the lawyer's question wasn't quite the right 
question. The question that he asked was, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? What, okay, you say love your neighbor, demonstrate your love for God. Well, then who is the person that I have to love to make sure I get my ticket? And I think Jesus is going, mm, it's not really the right question. I think a better question is, what does my neighbor look like? What does a good neighbor look like? And how does a neighbor act? Because Jesus wants to tell a story that's going to distort their understanding of what God is like. To tell a story that shows us what the heart of God is actually like. It's almost like Jesus, as we unpack this in a second, you'll see, Jesus wants to tell us that if you want to follow him, then this is what it's going to look like because this is what the heart of God looks like. So Jesus starts with the story that we heard before in baby format. No, not baby, sorry, child format. Now I'll give it, um, I don't have any pictures. I feel really bad now. We should go back and put the pictures up there. Wasn't it, as we're watching that, the robbers? They make me laugh, those books. <laughs> when I was imagining robbers, I was not imagining them. But I guarantee going forward, I'm going to be thinking of those, those big burly men. So Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, you can imagine the crowd at this point. Hang on, Jesus. We're talking about loving neighbors and kingdom of heaven and eternal life. Why are you talking about that 27-kilometer stretch of road that's very dangerous? It's got lots of caves along it. What, what's, what, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Jesus says, They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and he went away, and they went away, leaving him half dead. The crowd's going, Yep, dangerous path. Happens. If he's traveling by himself, not the safest thing. So Jesus goes on in his story and says, Ah, oh, well, two people come past him. And two of these people are Judeans. And two of these people see their Judean neighbor, this stranger, this person who's busted up, and they decide to walk on by. Now, for the crowd listening, this is really disappointing news because these are not just any two people. These are two religious people. These are two people who, if loving God, as you, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength, they should have that down packed. But Jesus is coming in saying, oh, you can say you love God as much as you want, but if you don't love other people, I don't think that one's happening. Um, so you imagine the crowd going, oh no, the two people, the priest, the Levite, these people who should be the examples for loving God have made a decision which just doesn't fit their expectation. That's not very good. And it's interesting, um, just as a side note, these people, these religious leaders, they're not allowed to kill people, obviously, against the law, but apparently they also don't have to feel inclined to save people. So they went past and they felt within their own duty, with their own, if they stood before God, they obviously made a decision to leave the person and be like, I followed the law still, I, I didn't interfere, I didn't have to save them, but I didn't make things worse. Now this is a tough story for the crowd, as I said, because they're like, man, these are the religious people, come on, what's going on here? But it's going to get a lot worse for them. So then Jesus says three words um, that makes the crowd start to get a little nervous. And uh, I think that if this crowd wasn't so heavily invested, if they weren't so engaged already, the crowd probably would have at this point disengaged. Jesus goes and says, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Now, some of the crowd probably thought it was a Samaritan that beat him up. That's what they probably would have assumed. In fact, they're probably thinking, then a Samaritan comes and finishes the job. There is no love lost between the Judeans and the Samaritans. Samaritans were not respected by the Judeans. The Judeans did not respect the Samaritans. weren't respected by Samaritans. Just to give a bit of an insight into how much these groups did not get along. Um, in the previous chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 9, 
Uh, there's a story where um, the message uh, from Jesus, he, he decides, Jesus is like, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've got to go and do what God's called me to do. And they start to send messengers out everywhere to go to all the different towns around the place and tell people, Jesus is on the move, something's happening. And they go to a town, which is a Samaritan town. And the Samaritan town, upon hearing where Jesus is going, in fact, he's going to Jerusalem, uh, they go, we don't want anything to do with this. Uh, we don't want this. So they, they say to the messenger, no, thank you, not for me. Go away. Here's the response from the disciples of Jesus. So if you ever, look, if you ever feel like you're having a bad day, if you ever feel like you're not quite living up to your own standards of what it means to be a person, or in fact you're looking at who Jesus is and going, oh, I definitely don't meet those standards, hear what two people who followed Jesus, who loved, who could see him in the flesh, this was their response. They asked Jesus, the Jesus, hey, we should pray that fire rains down from heaven upon them. Oof. They don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. We can, we can just say a little prayer. Let's talk to your father. Let's sort this situation out. I mean, that's just like, they obviously were not in step with where Jesus was heading. Uh, now, Jesus doesn't only just rebuke them uh, politely and say, no, we shouldn't do that. He tells them off and says, come on, guys. That's not why I'm here. That's not the deal. Um, in short, these two groups did not get along. Even the people closest to the Son of God um, struggled to love them. So, but a Samaritan. Now, now the crowd are, are wondering, ooh, I hope they don't make the, the Samaritan the hero. But the disciples, they have a little bit of a deeper insight here. The disciples, they know Jesus' storytelling. And, uh, and Jesus normally gives a good person who represents God. So the disciples are listening to this going, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Is Jesus about to make a Samaritan represent God? I imagine at this point going, talk about nerves. So the story goes on. As he traveled, the Samaritan came to the man, saw him, and took pity on him. Now, this pity didn't stay pity. The pity turned into action. And Jesus wanted to show that the Samaritan was the hero. He went the extra mile in getting him the care he needed. He went, he got him up bandaged his wounds, they poured oil and wine on him, put him onto his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. So the guy didn't just stop on the side of the road and say, you okay, mate, give him a pat on the back. The guy didn't stop on the road and say, hey, I'll go get help. The guy stopped on the road, the Samaritan stopped there, bandaged up what he could, did the, the first aid that he could there and then, put him onto his own donkey, which would be a huge inconvenience. The Samaritan's got somewhere to be. And he goes out of his way to say, I'm going to stop what I've got going on. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to put you onto the donkey. I'm going to take you to the inn. I'm going to take care of you. Jesus is making a statement here. This person, who you guys may not like that much, uh, did more than the, uh, than the religious people. And Jesus wasn't done. It went on the next day. The guy went and took two denarii out, so he took some money, gave it to the innkeeper, said, can you please look after him? This should cover it, but if it doesn't cover it, when I get back, I'll pay you any remaining expenses you have. Now, at this point, the audience is probably shocked and confused. And then Jesus did something that the audience would not appreciate and really not be alive long enough to appreciate in its fullness. Jesus then goes and redefines neighbor for them and for us. Jesus redefined neighbor for the Judeans and the crowd, for every nation, every generation. He took neighbor beyond the national borders, beyond who they knew and didn't know. He took neighbor beyond even their own scriptures. And he did it with a very well-timed question that at times annoys us because we know the answer um, when we want to mistreat people or look down on people, and we'll talk about that next week, um, or we think we're better than other people. Jesus asked this well-timed question um, that really hammers it home. 
So crowd, so lawyer, all of this has happened. Which of the three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Here's the implication. Okay, which of these three people actually loved God with all his heart, mind, and strength because he chose to love his neighbor as himself? And the lawyer answers the question, but can't really bring himself to say it properly. Um, I can imagine uh, they're there and Jesus is like, well, which one was it? And the lawyer's like, oh, um, mm, you know, the guy, the man, the, the person with the donkey, the, uh, yeah, who, who was that again? Yeah, the, you know, the, the Samaritan. Um, oh, uh, the one who had mercy on him. Couldn't even say the Samaritan one. Like, he's so like, oh, he just goes, the, the one who had mercy. The one who had mercy on him. It wasn't the one that went, what's the bare minimum required? The priest and the Levite did the bare minimum required of them at the time. Their law required them not to kill, but in that situation, they viewed their law as not enough to have to intervene and actually love their neighbor. They did bare minimum. The Samaritan came along under no compulsion and went and did more than what was required. He saw a need, met a need. And then Jesus simply says to them, okay, Go. You go and do likewise. Go and be like the Samaritan. Now, if you zoned out for the last little bit, I want you to pay attention to this. If you want to participate in God's kingdom, because, you know, I know some of you drift, that's fine, I get it. It's a, it's a big morning. Um, if you want to participate in God's kingdom now, if you want to be in sync with what God is actually doing in your day-to-day living, in today, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, which is rolling out from the time of Jesus through till he returns, if you want to be a part of what's happening with God, then when you see a need, meet a need. If you want to know the heart of God towards humanity, is that when there is someone for who we can meet a need for, then we should do it. Be a Samaritan. Don't talk yourself out to it, out of it. The amount of times we get into situations and we see someone and we go, but I'm too busy, but I don't have the resources, but I'm not the right person. The amount of times we see a need and we think to ourselves, but that can be someone else's problem. Or sometimes when we're really honest, those yucky, yucky, yucky parts of ourselves, we can look at some people and this is horrible and really it goes against everything God stands for, but it's still inside of us. Sometimes we can look at people and go, well, they deserve it. If they had listened to me, if they did what they should have, if, and that, that's the gross part of ourselves. I get that. It's, it's, it's not nice. But when we see a need we can meet and we remove the excuses, when we act like the Samaritan, we actually tap into the heart of God. We can actually show that we love God through the way we love other people. According to Jesus, loving your neighbor has no boundaries. And the reason it has no boundaries is because God's love isn't contained within a boundary. And I'm really glad that Luke wrote all this down so that we can understand this for ourselves because when left to our own devices, we'll happily help the person who helps us. But Luke wanted to make sure it would be crystal clear. If you want to follow Jesus, you don't get a choice loving other people as part of the package. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, or if you're wondering whether you believe in him or you're struggling with your faith or whatever, I just want to say that if you don't recognize Jesus as Lord over your life, then the implication for you is just not there. You have no, you're not under no compulsion to have to love other people the way that Jesus followers are expected to love other people. 
If you're someone who says, I'm not quite sure I buy into the whole Christian thing, I get it. It can be inconvenient at times, but you don't have to love other people. I mean, you, you're the boss of you. But if you're someone who says, Jesus is the boss of me, we don't get a say in the matter. If we say Jesus is the boss of us, it doesn't matter how much we read our Bible, how much we give, how much time we spend on our knees praying. If we are unable to love the person beside us, then we have missed the heart of God. And Jesus makes it perfectly clear for us. Loving God is demonstrated by the way we love one another. And if Luke didn't record it for us, we might just be making it up in our own way. So if you want to take part in God's kingdom here and now, then we need to answer that question. Which one of the three do we think is the one who was a neighbor? And we need to recognize that that's what God is looking for in us. See, Jesus isn't looking for more admirers or more believers or more thinkers. Jesus is actually looking for more doers. People who will put it into action. Someone who doesn't just hear the message I've said today and go, oh, that sounds nice. Maybe I should be nice to someone. Someone who goes, hang on, Jesus is demanding of me to show my love for him. I actually have to love other people well, even when it's inconvenient, even when I don't see things the way that I do, even if they believe the complete opposite thing to me. I am required to love them. doesn't mean I agree with them, but I'm required to love them. And the amount of relationships that we seem to fraction, the amount of relationships that we seem to break because we want to choose to love only those that see the world the way we do, that look at the things the way we do, that believe the things that we believe, breaks the heart of God. And there's broken relationships within our families, our friendship circles, within our community, because Jesus' followers have chosen to put themselves first and not the message of hope that comes in the way we love other people. And it's sad. We need to be people who are doers, people who understand what God is like, that God is a God whose love is not contained just for those inside, but that flows freely for the world. And how does that love flow freely? Because people who bear his name step out and do what love is required of them. That we be a church that actively advertises the way of Jesus and that the way we love people is actually how we love God. The Jesus ethic of love others, people first. Step into being a follower who does things. Allow your faith to come alive as you listen to Jesus' words to go and do likewise. Because in our lives, the people we do not forget are those that step into our life that meet a need for us that had no reason to have to do that. The people that we remember are the people that come in and look after us, that love us, that care for us. And when we go, how do I pay you? What do I need to do? What do I owe you? They go, nothing. I did it because I saw a need and met a need. And Jesus' heart for the world, God's heart for the world is that his church, his followers will be people who go see a need, meet a need. Let's be the Samaritans in the world. Let's change the world or at least someone's world. And we'll pick it up there next week for our final part of investigating Jesus, how we know what we know. Let me pray for you. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this example. Thank you so much for this story. Thank you, God, that you're smart enough not to answer everything but to ask good questions and tell amazing stories. Thank you that we're able to apply this to our life here now. And the prayer right now for everyone who's listening and everyone who's a part of our Lesmerdy Baptist Church community is simply this. May we be people who are doers. When we see a need, may we meet a need. When we think of the reasons as to why not, may the Holy Spirit crush them, remove them, make them known that that is not how we think because we belong to you. 
and your heart is for a hurting and broken world. May we be the people that show love, that be love, that be the good neighbour. Day in, day out. In your name and for your glory. Amen.